Morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Glad to see everyone here this morning. There was a uh, teenage girl from Romania. She was, she had a condition called hypersomnia. And so she would sleep a long time. And one time she slept for 11 days straight. And you know, a lot of things can happen in 11 days, right? I mean, we've seen recently that a lot of things can happen overnight. Um, In 1941, there was a six-year-old girl who uh, needed to have her appendix removed. So she went in. It's a pretty routine surgery. um, And they gave her anesthesia, and she fell asleep, and she did not wake up for 37 years. That's a very long sleep. And, you know, we're counseled by God's word to awake out of sleep. For the day is at hand. And so I guess the question would be, are we as Seventh-day Adventists in danger of falling asleep during this time or being asleep? A crucial time in earth's history. I hope we realize that. And I want to begin um, by looking at a verse in Revelation 7. As you turn there, I want to pray. Revelation 7, we're going to begin in verse 1. Loving Father, we're privileged to have your word uh, freely this morning. Um, we take it seriously as we open your word. We ask for wisdom. Uh, you promise wisdom to those who ask in faith, and you promise it liberally without reproach. We claim that promise. I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me, that our hearts would be open to hear from heaven. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard me say before that these verses apply to us um, perhaps in one of the most significant ways, uh, because it really is speaking of our time right now. Revelation 7 and verse 1, it says this, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the what? The seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have what? Sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, the winds represent war and strife and calamity. Um, Are we seeing that today? Absolutely. And so, we're still in a holding period. We're still living in a time when the angels are holding back uh, all of the strife and the calamity and the war. I mean, we're seeing some things happening, but, um, you know, we still have religious liberty, so to speak. We're still meeting in churches. Um, We still have prayer meetings. Uh, In this country especially, we're privileged. And, but things are changing fast, as we know. And, you know, this seal... Uh, that we just read about, once God gives that seal to a person, it can't be broken. We should desire that seal um, and, and not be fearful of what lies ahead, especially if we're sealed. And so the angels, they are loosening their grip. The Lord is allowing these things to happen. He's trying to wake us up. And uh, I wanted to read... Um, from Early Writings, page 38, because it applies um, significantly to this. 
And she talks about the four angels and she says um, they had a work to do on the earth and were on their way to accomplish it. And Jesus was clothed in his priestly garments and he gazed in pity on the remnants. And he raised his hands and with a voice of deep pity, he cried, my blood, father, my blood, my blood, my blood, four times. I think one for each angel. And then she goes on, she says, And I saw an exceeding bright light come from God, who sat upon the great white throne and was shed all about Jesus. Then I saw an angel with a commission from Jesus, swiftly flying to the four angels who had a work to do on the earth and waving something up and down in his hand and crying with a loud voice, Hold, 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 four holds, until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. Notice they're servants of God. She wanted to know the, uh, you know the meaning of what she had heard. And she said that the four angels, they had power from God to hold the four winds, right? We just read that. But they were about to let go. And while their hands were loosening, the merciful eye of Jesus looked upon the remnant that were not sealed. And he raised his hand and pled with his father. He pled his spilled blood on our behalf. So we're living more than 170 years later, and we're still in this holding pattern. Why? Well, because the Lord is not going to seal his people unless they're ready. He has a sealing that has to happen in the great controversy, right? He has a, a reputation um, that needs to be vindicated because Satan has been presenting lies about the character of God and this ceiling is proof that God's character is 180 degrees different from what Satan has been presenting. Let's go to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. I want to read a few verses there. Second Peter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Let me know when you're there. 2 Peter 3, are you there? Okay. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, what? Scoffers walking according to their own lusts or desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That, what does that mean? That means that God transcends time. He's not trapped by time like we are. We have to wait until we're 16 to drive and etc., etc. But God, time, He creates time. He, he transcends time. 
The Lord is not slack, verse 9, concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? To repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now notice this, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I love those verses. What manner of persons ought we to be? Or should we wait and just keep waiting? And unfortunately, it'll be too late if we keep waiting. Peter writes to stir up our minds as a reminder. Don't forget. He says, be mindful. Be attentive to the things that the prophet spoke that are happening today. And he goes on to warn us of being scoffers, mockers, false teachers uh, will come up in the last days. Um, You know, Satan is trying to draw Christians away from the fact that Jesus is coming. He wants to lull us to sleep. Don't worry, Jesus isn't coming soon. You know, you'll have plenty of time. I mean, how many people here, don't answer the question, but how many people here are hoping for and waiting for things to get back to normal? So this is clearly Satan's motivation, right? He wants to ensure, and there's no better way to do it, to ensure the loss of Christ's children than to cause them to forget or to put off or to deny the second coming of Jesus or to convince ourselves we've got plenty of time. Scoffers say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, the ancestors fell asleep, died, All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, we could ask ourselves, is that true today? Are all things continuing as they did from the beginning? Well, in many respects, yes. The sun keeps rising. Rain falls. Summer comes. The seasons, right? People go to work. They go to school. You know, we live in homes. Things are continuing as they were. If you just take a little surface examination of it, you could say, yeah, things are just going on as they used to. I want us to consider um, something. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Let's look at verse 8. Second Timothy 4 verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, And not to me only, but unto all them also that what? That love his appearing. See, we have to love the fact that Jesus is coming back. You know, in Ellen White's uh, youth, when she was part of the Methodist church, they disfellowshipped that entire family because they were teaching and believing that Jesus was soon to return. Could you imagine that? That the leaders of a church would get together and say, we don't want them here. They think Jesus is coming soon. Matthew 24, 
Matthew 24, uh, beginning in verse 37. <clears throat> I just want to touch on a few things here. Uh, things that we're familiar with, but as a, as a reminder to pull this whole thing together. Uh, Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So things were going on as usual, business as usual, like today. Our people are marrying, you know, giving in marriage. People are eating and drinking. Um, Some of those things are not biblical that are taking place today. I think we need to Uh, recognize that. But notice in verse 39, they weren't prepared. Probation closed and they didn't realize it until the first raindrop started to fall. And then it's too late. You see, the sealing had already happened and only eight were sealed and they were put in the ark and that door was shut and sealed. Jesus looks at what the world it says, look at what the world was like before the flood, and you'll know that it's the, the second coming is near. And we're seeing all of those things that were going on. As the time of the probation was closing, we're told that the antediluvians gave themselves up to exciting amusements and festivities. Those who possessed influence and power, so people in leadership positions, were bent on keeping the minds of the people engrossed in mirth and pleasure, lest any should be impressed at the last solemn warning. Do you think Satan is doing that today? Absolutely. Keep the minds of the people engrossed in mirth and pleasure, amusements, festivities, anything to distract them from what is happening and from, so that they can miss the last solemn warning. We see the same repeated in our day. So while God's servants were giving the message that the end of all things is at hand, the world is absorbed in amusements, pleasure-seeking. She says there's a constant round of excitement that causes indifference to God and prevents the people from being impressed by the truths which alone can save them from the coming destruction. So it's a very simple recipe. Satan says, the truth is here. I must keep them from the truth. Distract them so that they don't hear the truth, so that they're not ready. And they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke chapter 21. Let's go there. Luke 21, beginning in verse 34. And I'm moving along because I have some ground to cover. Luke 21, beginning in verse 34. And Jesus is speaking here and he says, And take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that, so that day come upon you unawares. Do we have cares in this life? Absolutely, you can't avoid them. But with this in mind, we put it in perspective. And we say, yes, I have cares. There's things I have to do. I have things I have to deal with. But what is the priority? Priority is Christ, being ready for Jesus to come and for doing his will until then. Verse 35, it says, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now a snare 
as translated here, would be a trap that you're not likely to get out of. Verse 36, he says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Do you believe that God will do what he says he's going to do? Do you believe that the prophecies as presented will take place? Right, and so he's, he's telling us, watch, pray. Because these things are going to come to pass. And none of us should say, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. So over the past few years, our world has seen some compelling planetary activity. That really encompasses a broad spectrum of things. And this is in no way an exhaustive list, but we've seen fires and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and mudslides and earthquakes and drought and civil unrest in this country and around the world. And of course, pestilence. And many of these things are increasing in intensity and frequency. And that that is how the Bible describes it, how Jesus describes it when he says they'll be like birth pangs or labor pains. They increase in frequency and intensity. And if you were to do a study just on earthquakes, National uh, Geological Survey, you would see that they increase. uh, The numbers are just increasing and the intensity uh, is increasing as well. And that's just one area. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 11, he said, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places or various places and famines and pestilence. And we're seeing that. And he said, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will what? Wax cold, will grow cold. That's very true. Are we seeing that? You know, just this week, uh, since last Sabbath, you know, the terrorist attack on Israel, and I don't need to repeat what they did, but you've heard it. Do you think that their hearts have waxed cold? Of course they have. In order to do that, to have that much hatred and to be able to carry out those atrocities, your heart is as cold as ice. And so that's a fulfillment of prophecy, seeing those things. So we're living in the midst of a pandemic or an epidemic of crime and political corruption. I think we can all agree there. And, you know, we're living in a time when crime is now rewarded. It's rewarded. Do things that are wrong and you will be rewarded. So in some states, as long as what you steal is less than $900, you can keep it and no one's going to prosecute you. So that's wonderful. That's why so many people, I think half a million people have left California um, during the Biden administration. So people are leaving um, because things are out of control. And so this anarchy is permeating every nation. Um, Acts of horror, you've heard them. Hatred, bitterness, it's, it's everywhere. And then, you know, James talks about uh, the financial world and the trouble in the financial world um, and the imminent collapse of the world financial system. And so if you have faith in your bank account, um, you might want to put your faith somewhere else because, you know, the Bible is true. That's going to happen. There's, gonna, there's going to be a, a corruption of the finances of the world. You know, the stock market's like a roller coaster. I don't um, play the stock market or gamble with it, but um, a lot of our retirements are there, but we have no control over that for most, uh, most of us. But, you know, the world's economy is hanging by a thread. The more we print money and go in debt, the more volatile that financial system 
is. And you know, they say that um, <clears throat> when, when the United States, when something happens financially in the United States, it has a trickle effect all over the globe and not a good effect, a, a negative effect. And when they realize that that dollar bill in your wallet or that 20 isn't worth the paper it's written on, and it's not, we'll see that collapse take place. It's happened before. It, it can happen again. It's going to happen again. So I wanted to share a couple of things. I read this from a newspaper in the United Kingdom, and it said this. U.S. interest rate rise could trigger global debt crisis. That was the headline. And it went on and said, global debt levels are dangerously high, and central banks cannot keep the game going indefinitely. See, it's a game to them. Um, it went on, it says, debt ratios have reached extreme levels across all major regions of the global economy, leaving the financial system acutely vulnerable to monetary tightening by the, the Federal Reserve. The world's top financial watchdog has warn, warned. So we have a national debt, I checked it last week, it was $32.8 trillion. And in order to wipe out that debt, Every living American of every age would have to, would have to hand over $100,000 in order to level that debt. That includes the toddlers and the newborns as well, and the 90-year-olds and the 100-year-olds. <clears throat> and so our nation, we can't sustain this much longer. Personal debt is almost to that $100,000 level, meaning that every American on average, owes about $75,000. That's an all-time high. So we have this volatile world economy. We have civil unrest. We have wars. We have violence, natural disasters of every kind. We have disease and famines. We have all of these things that the Bible has told us about. 2 Timothy 3, the first four verses, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The Bible mentions these things specifically because it's talking about the last days. We should be interested in them. We shouldn't turn our ears off when these things are read. We're in the midst of a tremendous crisis. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. So September 17th, just uh, about a month ago, it was National Back to Church Sunday. And it was started in 2009. And this organization is now the largest annual community-based outreach effort in the United States. They have more than 30,000 churches participating in 120 denominations. So I want you to think about that as a Sabbath keeper. It's 30,000 against one. It's 120 denominations against one. And so this, uh, you can go to their website and read what they have to say, but this mo movement imagines an America in which every person receives a personal invitation and attends church on the venerable day of the sun, on the first day of the week. They expected, I don't know what the number was, but they expected September 17th to have 4 million Americans 
participate. It's a lot of people. Now, you have to couple that with the 72 million Roman Catholics, of which I was one for many years. That's the largest religious body in the United States, and they are Sunday keepers, right? They promote Sunday keeping. And so they claim to have changed the day of worship from the the Bible Sabbath to Sunday. And so if you couple the 30,000 churches with the 72 million Roman Catholics, that's a whole lot of people in this country alone supporting and promoting Sunday sacredness. We need to be aware of these things. We don't want to be caught off guard. Light is flashing from the throne of God. And what is this for? What is this light for? It's so that we can be prepared to stand. It's too late in the day to be involved in frivolous things. The Lord's coming soon. It's time to awake out of sleep. So how is it that we are to be prepared? How are we to be sealed uh, for the second coming in our foreheads? Because eventually the angels will be given the command, okay, enough is enough, you can let go. And when that happens, Satan will have full reign on this earth. And if we are not sealed, then we will become agents of Satan. That's pretty sobering. So um, I want you to go to Romans uh, briefly, right after the book of Acts. Romans 13 Romans 13, let me know when you're there. In that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation, what? Nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering, Um, and in wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now go to Romans 12. It's probably the page to the left. And look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may be Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 2 is a description of repentance because that word in the Greek means changing the way you think. And he says, Paul says, transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about repentance, changing the way you think. There's a young person in the Murfreesboro Church School. You know that the Lord is speaking to young people. Young people, did you know that? The Lord is trying to reach young people. He's trying to reach everybody, but he's definitely trying to reach young people. And she had a dream, and she shared this dream with me, and I want to share it with you. She said, I had a dream. I was in Walmart shopping. I was thinking, and it hit me, that I was too much like the world and that I needed to change because Jesus was coming soon. Could you imagine? A a young person, God is giving her this dream. 
And it's so applicable. Suddenly, I was at the fellowship hall at church. Everyone from school was playing and cheering. I started to cry and say, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to. And my mom was there in this dream, and and she reassured me that I wasn't. At that moment, someone grabbed me and held me back so I couldn't get away. Then another person ran up to me and shoved a notebook in my hand that said Pentecost backwards. In the dream, I took a second to figure out what it said. As soon as I figured it out and said the words Pentecost to myself, I immediately woke up. I woke up reciting, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was shocked and immediately got up to double check what the story of Pentecost was. That doesn't happen without divine intervention. The Lord was trying to reach this one, this, this young person. And I share that with young people. I share that with old, old, older people because God is at work. And, and clearly, God is trying to prepare her for what lies ahead. He's trying to prepare us for what lies ahead. And so that was a powerful testimony. And it's encouraging because God is working to reach even young people, especially young people. He's working to reach everyone. So how are we to awake out of sleep? Well, Paul says, remember who Jesus is, what he's done, what he is doing. Trust in him completely. Ask him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So in other words, humble yourself and recognize you can't save yourself. You can do a lot of good things in the church and out in the world, but that's not going to save you. So I want to show you a few pictures. Thanks for your patience as I work to get this up on the screen. We're going to go to India. We're going to go to India. There it is, beautiful. So I I went to India in 2009 to do evangelism, and I was there for almost a month. And these people are precious. All people are precious. But there's such a contrast between what we have and what we experience in America and what these folks live day by day. Um, They have colorful clothes, but not much else. And that is to their advantage. Um, They feel their need. They don't have the distractions that we have. And we'll see a few pictures here. I don't have a lot of pictures, but, well, I do have a lot of pictures, but I'm not going to show you a lot of pictures. Um, Their lives are very, very simple, and that is to their advantage. Um, They're open and they're awake. When we go there to do evangelism, it's not like it is here. We have to strive, strive, strive to get one person to come and listen to the gospel. They come out by the tractor load in India. This is the nicest house uh, that I saw 
in the villages. There's 600,000 villages in India, and over 500,000 have never heard the name Jesus. And as we were doing our work, you know, we would, we would go into the villages during the day and we would meet with people and pray with them and then they would feed us. And then we would um, go back to where we were staying and rest for a while and get prepared. Then we would come back at night and we would preach. We would do uh, Bible stories for the kids and health, a health message. And then we would do evangelism. And this went on and on and on. And during that time of visiting people, this was the nicest house that I came across. And these young people here, do you see what they have? They have a tire that's been cut in half and that's sufficient for them. I'm sorry, why is that up there? It's not on my screen. Let me see if I can get rid of that. Hold on here. I apologize, but I have no idea why that's up there. It's not on my screen. Try it again. All right. That's better. Here we are. So they have this tire that's cut in half, and it occupies them for hours. They're very happy to have that tire, and they roll it down the road, see how far they can roll it. Um, they don't have anything else. They have the clothes. This boy doesn't even have shoes on. He doesn't have any shoes. Um, how would you like to live here? That's their house. They take the cot, turn it on its end. Um, so they have room to move about in there. Um, there's another house behind it. It's basically the same. This man does not have a roof over his head. He sleeps there. And you can see that someone else sleeps on a handmade cot um, as well. Um, very simple lives and very happy people. When you... You interact with them. I don't know if anyone here has been to India, but you interact with these people. They're joyous. They're happy. Uh, very content. If it wasn't for Christian organizations like Maranatha and others, they would have to walk miles to get dirty, filthy water to bring back to the village to drink. And to uh, you know, they would do their laundry there, and they would come back, and they would cook with that water. But this is fresh, clean water. And so she has a very simple life, right? She does the laundry, she does the cooking, and they're happy. So each night, like I said, they came out in droves. They would blare the music very loud, and that sound would carry, and the people would say, oh, the meetings, and they would get in these tractors with the trailers, and they would come out by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. You didn't have to go out with flyers or anything like that. They just came and they were so attentive, eyes wide open, listening to every word. And, and it was hope for them. See, they, they, they live a life of no hope. So the women, if they work in the rice paddies, many of them do, they make a dollar a day. The men work uh, doing various things, mainly building stuff, making bricks. They make a dollar twenty-five a day. It costs a dollar a day for a person to feed themselves in India. And so they're on the brink of collapse every day. And that's why you'll see, sometimes you'll see images of 
of the elderly women and they are stuck in this position because they have been bent over in a rice paddy for 40 or 50 years and they're still there and they can't stand up straight. And, but when they see you, they smile and they're happy and, and they want you to pray for them. And the young people too, they, they, they understand the value of prayer. And so we preached and we taught and we prayed and they were baptized. And we had to do this secretly because you can't proselytize. I mean, you can't baptize. You can proselytize in India, but you can't make them a member of your church legally. And then if certain groups um, caught you doing this, you know, the harm could be, you know, you could end up losing your life. So we would, um, we would have the candidates, but we would not announce a baptism. And as we were traveling, if we saw water, we would pull over and they would do the baptisms. That way no one could, you know, betray the confidence and have the authorities waiting or some radical groups waiting to, to uh, hurt you. And so they lined right up. They were cheerful to be baptized. Um, that's one of the local pastors there uh, doing a baptism. And then we gave them a Bible in their own language. It cost us a dollar. In, the, in their language was Telugu. Now, it's interesting in India, uh, um, our sister Margaret's in the back there, and she, she could clarify some of this at Fellowship Meal if I make a mistake. But my understanding is that there's a lot of languages depending on which state you're in. So we were in Andhra Pradesh. If we went to another state, there was no guarantee that they spoke that other language. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, language issues there. And in order to have hope outside of India, you needed to learn English. And so, you know, one of the first things that we did was we went to our Adventist schools and orphanages where we teach them English. They get an English Bible, they're taught English, and they go on to become doctors and nurses and you name it. It opens the world to them to learn English. And to have a Bible, these ladies, you can see how they're holding it close. Um, those Bibles, if it wasn't for us, they would never get a Bible. It's the most prized possession that they have. This woman here, the, the look on her face and the way she's holding that Bible, to me, says it all. Just, it's an incredible thing. Now, we could go to Walmart and buy 10 Bibles. You know, they're all various kinds and various prices. And, you know, not them. They just don't have that ability. They do not have that ability. The food on their table comes from the food that they grow. Um, it's, it's so different. And their hearts are so open. They are not sleeping because they don't have the distractions that we have. So thanks for taking that trip to India with me. I wanted to share that. So there's a, a text in Colossians chapter 1 as we come to a close here. I invite you to go there. Colossians chapter 1. It's right after Philippians. And I want us to read verse 27. Let me know when you're there. Colossians 1.27. Paul is speaking and he says... Well, actually, let's back up and just look at verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. That's the gospel. That mystery is the gospel. 
He goes on, he says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why are we asleep? What's preventing God's people from being sealed? We lack the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Christ comes to us through his word. He sends the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and and other things, as the scriptures tell us. To convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We need Christ in our lives. We, We need to have that hope of glory. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the the earth, neither the sea, nor in any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth, the sea, saying, Hurt not the, the earth, the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. God is going to seal a group of people, and he wants you, he wants me to be part of that group that is sealed. You know, he has a gentle hand. He is, he is. Jesus has a gentle hand. If you look at the life of Jesus, you see that. That he has a gentle hand. I love Luke chapter 4, where the account of Jesus um, healing, and the Bible says that they brought everyone of, from, that was sick in town and to Jesus, and he touched every one of them and healed them. He could have said, be healed, and they would have been healed, but he didn't. He took the time. He has a gentle hand, and he touched each one and healed them personally. And so he, he's reaching out to each one of us. He wants us to take his hand and be part of this sealing that's coming. That's your desire. I invite you to kneel if you're able. Loving Father, we know um, that time is short. We want to be ready. There's many distractions. Satan has put many distractions in front of us. But Lord, we're asking that you would convict us, that you would speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would fill us so that we would be reminded day by day that the priority is Christ. Yes, we're going to have cares from this world. There are going to be things that will uh, distract us and try to pull us away. But Lord, we want to stay on the straight and narrow. Lord, we want to be ready for the ceiling. We know that the winds of strife uh, are upon us. They're, they're coming soon. And we, we are not blind to current events and to prophecy. So Lord, help each one here to be ready, especially you know, our young people. Uh, I think they have more distractions sometimes than we do. Bless them. Help them to realize that there is nothing, nothing more important than spending eternity with our Savior. Nothing of this world comes even close to what you have in store for us. So help us to keep that in mind. Bless each family represented here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Thank you for that powerful message.